0: Hey everybody, I'm Taylor Onion, and you're listening to The Bloom Pod, the show where we use the power of storytelling to share the insights of entrepreneurs, educators, and sports professionals who are chasing big dreams. We spend time asking guests about the experiences they've had that have helped them bloom into who they are today. Today's guest is a self-proclaimed recovering Harvard Law graduate and a former NFL coach who now writes and speaks. This was a fun one, Uh, came together via Twitter thread. Please enjoy our conversation with Darren K. Roberts. Darren k roberts all right well like i just said uh, offline um i'm super excited to, to have you here today i've been trying to connect with you in full honesty since i launched this podcast back in uh, in April of 2020 so almost two years in the making uh so super excited this this conversation is is finally coming to uh to fruition here so shout out to uh to twitter and and the prompt that was who's your dream podcast guest for for 2022 yes. excited to, to make it happen that way so what i would love to do is is kind of kick things off kick things by have you move a little bit through your background. So I saw some involvement with uh, the U.S. Senate early on, some obviously NFL and and college coaching as well, and then moving into more of an educational and entrepreneurial space. So I'd love to hear the the elevator pitch, the synopsis, however you want to deliver it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll give a quick overview. From um, East Texas, went to UT in 97, played high school football, but never had any dreams of playing football beyond high school. Uh, Just liked Hanging out with kids that um, you know I would see at church, but didn't necessarily see in my classes. Um, thought I was going to be governor of Texas, and applied to Harvard Law School my senior year of college. Got uh, waitlisted. Got waitlisted four more years. Um, during that time, I worked in the U.S. Senate for Joe Lieberman. Did my my, my master's work at uh, the Kennedy School. Get to Harvard Law School 04, Going through the motions, worked a football camp in 06. Loved it, Uh, decided that I was going to graduate from law school, but really wanted to coach football. Wrote a letter to 32 NFL teams. The only yes was from Herm Edwards with the Chiefs. Graduated on June 6th of 07, went to Kansas City. Um, Volunteer, no pay, no benefits, 18 hour days. At the end of that year was uh, promoted to a quality control coach, which is like the first rung on the ladder in the football coaching world. Uh, Did two years in KC, went to the Lions for two years in Detroit, two years with the West Virginia Mountaineers, and then my last year in 13 with the Cleveland Browns. We all got fired. Came to UT to kind of hang out on a sabbatical, uh, enjoy teaching. Uh, launched a Center for Sports Leadership and Innovation. So we help our student athletes, we teach courses on leadership and financial management. Um, I'm also, I work in venture capital, so I'm a partner with a venture capital firm. I run a Center for Sports Leadership and Innovation and um, have five beautiful kids. So that's kind of the elevator high high level view.
0: Awesome. All the all the things. I'm interested to know how you went from being interested in in government. Obviously said you were kind of going through the motions, but what was it that, you know, early on made you feel like, "Hey, I want to be the the governor of Texas and I'm going to kind of take these steps to to move into that space?"
1: Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I get I don't know if I have an answer. Like there wasn't some, you know, I um I didn't have a eureka moment that said like, "I want to be governor." I think that It was sort of a sexy title that people would nod their heads in approval. I liked politics growing up. I was student government president all four years of high school, so I kind of naturally gravitated to that world. I'll also say that I kind of just naturally lost interest. There wasn't any, there wasn't a moment where I fell out of love with politics, but I just found that my, my interests were Um, Going in a different direction and so you know one of the commitments I have to myself is that Always always try to figure out what lights me up at some particular point in life. Uh, I don't believe in the notion of a singular purpose like people have This purpose in their life that they're supposed to fulfill Mm -hmm. I am a believer that we have purposes in the plural and at different stages of our lives, uh, you know, we're kind of called to answer and kind of bring those skills and talents to the forefront. So that's been my philosophy on life and has uh, I think it's I think it's suited me well.
0: Yeah, well, I think your your career path is is uh, evidence of of that philosophy, right? That there's no kind of one thing and that it that it evolves over time. So another thing that I that I noticed as I was doing a little bit of research on you um, is your on your website, you have something up that says wage war against your status quo. Mm-hmm. And I'm um interested to hear, you know, where that kind of came from. It's a strong statement, right? And and I think um, you know, when we're thinking about things like status quo, maybe that is the you know the one purpose that you fulfill and your challenges more of having multiple, but um, I'm eager to hear what that means to you and why it's important in terms of it being kind of a message that you deliver to others.
1: Yeah. I think it's very easy for people to get into a routine of employment, paying mortgages, dropping kids off at school, picking them up from soccer practice, and if we are imaginative and open-minded from age 6 to 21, it's very easy to get complacent from 22 on. So for me, waging war against the status quo is to constantly look and say, all right, Taylor, like, where am I right now? Am I happy? I may be getting paid a great amount of money, and the 401k looks great, and there's cash in the kids' 529 accounts. but..." And what I am I doing something that lights me up? And I am a firm believer that if you're going to devote 40 plus hours to an enterprise, some craft, um, which ends up being a third of your life, I think life's too short to do something where you just mail it in. So for me, waging war against the status quo is noticing where I am in life. If I'm unfulfilled, then plotting steps to find a life in which I am happier and I feel like I am bringing my um, my true talents to the forefront.
0: Well, what stood out so much to me about that statement is that you hear sometimes people will say, you know, we need to challenge the status quo. And and when I think of challenging it, you might say, hey, why are we doing this? But then if you get an explanation back, somebody's going to say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. I'm I'll stop challenging, right? But waging war indicates that this, you're you're never okay with the status quo, even if you get the kind of the answer back to, um, you know, that, that makes sense for it. So that was that was super interesting yeah. to me. So I, that, mean, I just
1: think it's, I think it's really easy to hear. I mean, I think it's just really easy from a personal life perspective. I mean, you know, it's very hard for humans to push against, I think about racism. Um, I think about like all of the issues that face just the world today, climate change. I mean, we are, we are very reluctant to really put in the time and effort to chip away at big problems. I think also in our personal lives, it's very easy to push through Mondays because you know there's gonna be a Friday. Like that mindset is also uh, I think very dangerous. And so kind of constantly be putting your life under a microscope and putting as much time into examining your life as it is um, versus just kind of mailing it in.
0: Yeah, that makes yeah. total sense. There's a, there's a little bit of, of um, herd mentality there and what you just described where people kind of go with the norm. They want to, you know, essentially conform to the group and, and just live their lives and not like, I don't want to put up a fight. I don't want to kind of do any of this stuff. One of the things we used to talk about a lot with, with our student athletes at my previous institution was, That's going to exist regardless, right? Like if, if we spend all of our time trying to fight herd mentality, it's, we're going to be exhausted. So why would we not put ourselves in a space where as we're developing leaders, we're developing leaders who are going to lead the herd, right? We know it's going to be there. So why not? essentially kind of get it from, from that angle. So super, super interesting. Um, Okay. So I want to, I want to jump back to the center for sports leadership and innovation Um, as a founding director of that kind of, what does that experience entail? Um, Well, let's start there and then I'll, I'll ask my additional question.
1: Yeah, Vision I had in 2014, the Ray Rice episode was fresh. I went to our president and I said, we should create something outside of the athletic department in which we take ownership of a course that would provide leadership and financial literacy lessons to our athletes. Um, You know, I worked for two years in West Virginia as a coach, so I've seen a bit of the college football machine, and um, I was convinced that there needed to be something outside of an athletic department that would support the development of student athletes. This was in 14. We raised funds. Kevin Durant gave us a large uh, gift to be able to keep this thing running and going. So we have a class that we teach to all freshman athletes on leadership and financial management. So every freshman athlete takes a course for me um, three times a year. I'm actually going on sabbatical at the end of this semester. So um, I'm excited for that kind of new phase of my life but we've had this curriculum in place for eight years great data Um, we bring speakers to campus so brene brown sean white mia ham durant um there's some others i'm forgetting and we just talk through how leaders in the sports space operate and how do you how do you lead humans and how do you um stay fulfilled and then we have a training program for high school athletes Where we bring high school athletes to campus and then kind of teach them what we're teaching our college athletes, so it's been a great experience. It's been a lot of fun to run. Um, You know, I'm I'm ready for another chapter in my life, but this has been it's been it's been great.
0: Do you find that there are any major differences between the high school group in terms of like characteristics, you know, eagerness to learn, things like that, between high school
1: and the college level? Not much. I mean, I think if you're at the University of Texas and you're a student athlete you've been coddled for most of your high school career because you've been on someone's radar and you're you're very good at your craft. And so you probably have not been, um, people haven't been as truthful with you because they, they wanna get you in their program, right? So I feel like there's a little bit of, um, there may be a bit of a difference with UT athletes or power five athletes or student athletes in general, in which <clears throat> you have to, there's a bit of um there's a long period where we have to debunk a lot of what's been taught. Mm. High school athletes, you know, most of them aren't going anywhere other, you know, their, their last game's going to be on senior night in high school. And so they do tend to be very open to finding ways to kind of translate their sports experience into the post sports life. So that's been, it's been interesting to kind of watch that dynamic play out. So as you take your
0: sabbatical, I'm assuming that means the course is going to, or the center will be on pause for however long that that lasts. Is that
1: what you're... Well, you know, we're looking through, we've got some, some candidates to take it over. Um, I've, you know, our team has been really diligent with kind of creating systems in place to where the one thing I wanted to do is build something that didn't uh, depend on me to run it. Uh, and I think that's important for leaders. Like if you're building something and you have to run it, then is it sustainable? And so everything that we do, someone else can can kind of take it and run with it. So we're kind of going through candidates who will take that on. Um, and I just want I kind of want my time back in a lot of ways. Um, I love to write and speak. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of getting more time to do both of those things.
0: Okay, so my question then is going to be, as you kind of transition out, start to step away from from this thing that you created, founded, right, uh, founding yeah. director, what do you hope, um, looking back at it, what do you hope the legacy has been, and what do you kind of hope the impact will continue to be once you're not a part of it?
1: Yeah, the one thing that I love the most is when student-athletes come back that I taught in 2014. And they say to me, remember that class we had on empathy or remember that that vulnerability exercise we did that really helped me as I led this team at McKinsey or, you know, I think the, the the what doesn't usually show up in surveys and kind of metrics are the narratives from student athletes who were able to incorporate lessons they learned from our center into their personal and professional lives. And I hope that work continues. And I think that the great, the great thing about what we do is that it isn't dependent on any certain individual. Uh, the material, the material is steeped in research and it's steeped in practice. And so, you know, I want that to live on, and I want student athletes um, in the future to be able to to gain from that instruction
0: it is kind of a any kind of student athlete development space you're in is is always a little bit of the the fluff piece of the experience right like academics we can quantify and tell when you're doing really bad and when you're doing really well but on the other side it is really those those kind of narrative um you know descriptions of hey i was able to use this this empathy piece in my work and other than other than that is there a kind of a significant narrative that stands out to you from a student athlete college or high school that that has gone through the program
1: yeah, one story of an athlete that was uh, is in the NFL now, and he talked to me about one of the exercises that I do for athletes that are going pro is we script out conversations with family members about their relationship with money. So I said mm. the, the the last thing you want to do is have this conversation after the NFL draft night. So let's have a conversation with Mom when you go back home for Christmas, and let's talk through the, the relationship between, This money that you may make in the NFL and how that's going to impact the dynamics of the family. And um, the young man went through that exercise as a freshman. And, you know, we talked fairly regularly, especially in the offseason. And he said, you know, it really helped me to create guardrails within my family nucleus such that there wasn't a conflict or expectations of. Well, I'm going to buy a home for so-and-so. And And you really can't put a price tag on that, right? I mean, I think that that heads off so many issues that could really deplete a human, especially, you know, people who are making a ton of money in the sports space. Everyone wants a piece of it, and it's very difficult to navigate that. So that's one of those stories that really stands out.
0: Yeah, boundaries. All about boundaries at every level.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: All right, so I want to move into um, three things that I see you constantly tweeting or constantly kind of writing about from a social media perspective. The first is uh, Eric Beinemy is a head coach. Mm. Uh, the second, stay in the deep end, and then uh, number three, anything talking about kind of working to narrow the generational wealth gap. So yeah. I would love to know why those three things are are kind of consistently a part of of your narrative from a from social media from a branding perspective.
1: Yeah, let's take enemy first. I mean. You know, this last hiring cycle, you have nine NFL head coaches hired. Three of them are of color. Um, You have Brian Flores with a running record with the Dolphins suing the NFL um, and basically exposing everything that people who are in this space know, which is that the hiring process is collusive in nature. Backroom deals, owners talking with other owners and the fact that a league has 70% African American players, um, but roughly what, what would it be? Um, One twelfth of the head coaches are of color. I, that's problematic on several levels, and I think it speaks to the issue that the the country has with racism. So Eric Bienamy is a head coach, which I usually tweet after Chiefs games, is my reminder to the world that there's a an offensive coordinator who has a Super Bowl ring and who is is coaching the arguably the best talent in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes, and has yet to land an NFL coaching gig, and uh, there aren't many explanations that I think would justify his omission. So that's one kind of calling, calling out this power structure in the NFL. Uh, stay in the deep end is my sign off. It's similar to waging war against the status quo. It's like, man. Just stay challenged. Just stay excited about what you're doing. Stay, um, you know, if you're signing up for opportunities or taking jobs where you can check off every box on the requirements, you know, the prereqs list, that's not staying in the deep end. That's kind of playing it safe. You need to always feel like you may be out of your element because that's where that's where you learn third piece, the generational wealth gap. Um, my post-George Floyd realization was that I wanted to spend my time narrowing this gap between white and black wealth, which has persisted for generations. There are a lot of reasons why it's, it's here. Um, but I've done a lot of investing in the real estate and in the startup space. And so my startup, my co-founder and I launched a startup called Amass. And we bring black investors into spaces like real estate and the startup venture capital world where, you know, previously they haven't had access to. So those are those are the things that are really, you know, where I'm spending a lot more of my time as I think about this next phase of my of my journey.
0: I can see the ways that all three of those, like there's some uh, ways that they weave together, kind of mesh together, right? The the three with you know Eric Bienemy and kind of issues with access, the same thing with the generational wealth gap, staying in the deep end, obviously pushing the status quo. In that case, if there was, um, if there's one way for you to encapsulate all those three things, whether it's in a legacy statement, whether it's in a vision statement for what you have for this kind of next phase of your life, what does that look like?
1: You know, it really all falls under my tagline, what I say to myself every day. It's, It's about waging war against the status quo. The status quo in the NFL is that black coaches get hired at a lower rate. Let's fight that. Uh, The status quo in America is that, you know, centuries of, when you look at wealth, the most prized asset that anyone, that most people will carry on their balance sheet will be their home. Hmm. And so you look back, well, well, how do people get homes? Well, typically you get a loan from a bank. And when you look throughout history, for the majority of our existence, black people cannot get loans. It's called, you know, redlining. And so when you can't get a loan to buy a home in a certain part of town, you get pushed into other areas that their property value declines. And this is a cyclical beast in the sense of my great-great-grandfather had X amount of acres and a home. And so he passes it on to my, you know, grandfather and he leverages that to get more assets and so there's this snowball effect in which you come to 2022 and it makes sense that there's a 10 to 1 kind of a ratio between the, the wealth gap so all of those things really for me come down to waging war against your status quo um and fighting to correct those those parts of our our world
0: yeah That's, that's strong. I like that. There's, um, as you were talking, the, the image, um, and it's an equity kind of a justice image of, um, I want to say it's a fence, right? Where one person is, has a larger box and they're able to just kind of automatically see over the fence. Or maybe it's a tree that's leaning in one direction. There's a ladder right on one side. On the other side, somebody can just kind of pick the apples, whatever it is. But that's kind of what, you know, that that uh, mental image is, is what kept popping up as you were talking through some of that stuff. And I think it's not something that um, specifically white people often consider, right? There's this, you know, notion of, ah, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it's like, if there are no, you know.
1: Yeah, I bristle. Every time I hear this, because, you know, when people say pull yourself up, they oftentimes omit uh, the boots that were passed down. Yes. Right? Yeah, They're like, oh, I just, well, did you really, did you really do that? Like, let's go back and let's let's really look at this transfer. And that's in most, uh, you know, the stats like the overwhelming majority of wealth that's generated in our country is inherited. Like this is not a, and so it's great that some people want to take credit for what their great, great grandfather did. But I think it's a bit disingenuous then to other people, like to your point to say, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and take personal responsibility and you can kind of do it too. Um, And that's, that's the real, that's the real fight.
0: Yeah, there's there's much more to the the conversation than that, and I could go on and on. But for the sake of time, what I'm going to do is is kind of move into the the latter half of of the show. So uh, this question is is part of the namesake uh, of the show, and it is what is uh, one experiences or maybe even like a series of experiences that you've had that have helped you bloom into the person you are today.
1: Hmm. Let's see where to start. Um. Um, experience number one would be in the third grade. We took a gifted and talented test. You drew pictures on a workbook. I missed the cutoff by one point. My mom was unconcerned. She was a high. School, she was an elementary school principal. She drove to the superintendent's home. By the time she got back, I was um, in gifted and talented. Now, the reason why I mention that is because I go on to finish third in my class and I don't, I don't cite this as like exhibit A, why Darren is so smart. I cite it because in society, we have this sorting mechanism where, you know, whether it's AP classes or a certain school or gifted and talented, and we tend to label little humans at a very early stage. And those detours can make for very monumental outcomes. And so I was blessed to have a mom who was in the school system, who was also courageous enough to push against um, the structure. So I've always, that that moment's always stood out for me. I would say another experience that uh, stood out for me was campaigning for student government president at UT you know, UT had 50,000 students at the time. It was the, or had 50,000, yeah, 50,000 students. We were the largest student body in the country. I spent two weeks speaking to, I think, 300 different student organizations, everything from the Chi Omegas to the Kung Fu Association to the Indian Students Association. And I think what I learned is that um, I think people have, There is a kernel of openness inside of all of us, and it's a matter of to what extent we've allowed experiences or ideologies to cover that up. Um, There were some groups that I went and spoke to that, you know, the campaign manager put it on the schedule, but I'm like, I don't have anything in common with these folks, but we're going to do it and i was pleasantly surprised by some of those experiences so it kind of reminds me to give people the benefit of the doubt i think the last six years of my experience in america also reminds me that i should also take i should believe people when they show me who they are Mm -hmm. Um, and that willful ignorance is a is a real thing so you know there are some people who like I think it's very hard to not be aware in 2022. Yeah. Uh, Another experience would be getting waitlisted. I think that I thought I was going to, like a shoe-in for law school at Harvard. That was my dream. But those four years on the waitlist really, I think, primed me for an embrace of rejection. Um, I teach this in my class. I think constantly exposing oneself to rejection is is the way to build the grit and the resilience and the Duckworth stuff that we talk about. But you've got to continue to put yourself almost in harm's way because you you train your psyche to deal with, with no. Uh, last experience I will cite will be when I was fired from the Browns, I went home and started scrambling eggs and my three year old asked me if I ate breakfast, and that was the moment that I realized that I was spending too much time with other people's sons and when I also committed myself to never give the lion's share of my time to an employer regardless of compensation level mm. so those are the those are the those are the kind of the 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 landmark experiences that that come to mind
0: i appreciate that i i I feel like normally people will start at at something in college like i if i had to guess before you answered that i probably would have guessed that it was the the harvard rejection or deferral or whatever so i appreciate the fact that all the way back to the third grade i appreciate that Yeah, yeah 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 All right. So last question I'll ask you before we jump into kind of the final the final leg here, which will be a a quick peel or like a lightning uh, round. So last question is, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received?
1: Hmm. My grandfather would always say once a man shows you who he is, believe him. I didn't quite get it. I mean, I was young and I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? (laughs) Wow. Was there so much knowledge wrapped up into that one statement? Um, And it kind of goes back to my previous point around the older I get, the more I try to really reconcile wanting to give people the benefit of the doubt But also, recognizing what I see and hear mm. um, and it's it's a constant battle because i i I find myself in these times really um, I am very. Maniacal about how I expend my energy. I say no much more than I say yes. And I, I really, um, if time is finite, I do believe that energy is renewable, even in the personal sense. Mm. And there are a lot of people who can just, you know, I think about Twitter, which I, it's funny, I, I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. Twitter's probably number two. Maybe Twitter and Instagram would be like tied for two. But there are a lot of people out there who just they, you know. They are uh, in love with strife. So, I uh, try to eliminate some of that. Did I answer a question? I'm kind of wondering. But that, you did. Yeah. You did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We started with your yeah. with your grandfather's advice. And yeah. yeah. You did. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So the the quick peel round. Um, a yeah. couple of kind of this or that questions and then we'll, we'll wrap it up with a a fill in the blank at the end. So first one is favorite musician or favorite musical genre.
1: Tupac, you know, uh, definitively Tupac, but in that Pantheon for me is Tupac Prince. Okay. Um, I love that. I love. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Tupac would be my answer for sure.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, if your name was associated with one thing, what Mm. would you want it to be?
1: Hmm. Oh, that's good. Hmm. One thing. My name, it's a good one. I'm gonna take grit. I think the quality grit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
0: Uh favorite vacation spot.
1: Favorite vacation spot. It's
0: a little easier than the last, than the last
1: one. Yeah. Um You know, side side story, my parents very early on incentivized me to travel. So one of my graduation gifts from high school was a, an account that they would match every dollar that I put into it, but I had to spend it on international travel. Mm. So I, I touched all seven continents by age 27, just because I was like, these are great returns, one-to-one, I'm just gonna travel. So I've, I've been blessed to, to be in a lot of places. I would say Turks and Caicos, I'm going to give you two answers, which is not what you want, but
0: <laughs> okay, if I'm I like just going to
1: chill, yeah, I would say Turks and Caicos just for chilling. The country that I find myself going back to more oftentimes than not, uh, Israel, I've been six times, uh, especially Jerusalem has a real, It's it's got a, there's an energy and vibe there that keeps calling me back. So. Okay. I'll give you a one and a 1A.
0: Yeah. Hey, I'll take that. I'll take mm-hmm. that. All right. Uh, last question before the fill in the blank, if you could have any job in the world, money aside, time aside, what would it be?
1: I'd be a full-time writer. Okay. Hands down. Awesome. Yeah. Books, articles, all the above. All the above. I think I would, um, it would, the spectrum would be from short form, short, f- short form a weekly newsletter. I write a weekly, what I call a life letter every Wednesday called stay in the deep end. Um, Shorter books to longer books. I would dabble with some fiction, but it would be kind of a full spectrum of, of writing.
0: Okay. All right. Last one. Fill in the blank. Blooming is blank.
1: Blooming is evolving. For me, blooming is, um, You know, you take the life cycle of a flower and there are, you know, I love those kind of um, time delay or sped up time, you know, watching a flower bloom and bud and all the things. And you know, on any particular day in that sequence, one could come out and look and say, I'm not sure this bud is gonna be anything. Or even in like the first phase of the bloom, you would think it can't get any better than this. And then a week later, it blossoms even more. So for, for me, to bloom means um, to constantly evolve. And to take that even a step farther, I just think about this. Even There's even beauty in, um, I bought my wife some carnations last year, and they lasted for two weeks, and then they kind of started yellowing, and and dried up and then I put them into just a vase without anything like as a as a kind of a an autumn arrangement. You know, they, they were brown and yellows and oranges. And I noticed the beauty in just the decayed petals, whereas usually I would just throw them out. And so I just think to bloom means to evolve. And it also means just to notice the beauty at all different stages of that that cycle.
0: That is reminding me of, a, and I can't think of who said it, but there's a quote that talks about um, the process of a of a seed transforming into whatever plant it's going to be, right? Like if you're only looking at the seed and you like see it as this kind of one thing and then all of a sudden it cracks and like explodes and it just would look like sheer chaos to anybody who didn't actually know what was going on. Yeah. So that's, yeah, yeah that's, that's a really... It's one of my favorite, I think, quotes because it does uh, kind of make you pay attention to what you just described in the life cycle of a plant, where you can go out at the beginning and you're like, nothing's happening, and then a year later, two years later, whatever it is, you might have a tree or a whole bush or whatever it is. So, yeah, yep, yeah. I love it. I That's love good. It. Awesome. Well, Darren, thank you so much for taking the time. Like I said, this is this is two years in the making for me, so I'm pumped to to finally have had you on today, and and I really appreciate you taking the time
1: out of your schedule. No, thanks for having me. It's an honor. I haven't done a, I swore off podcasts like two years ago and, uh, and I st- I had a podcast for like 116 episodes and I ended it, but um, I saw your message on Twitter and I've, I've always loved your work and what you do. And so I'm just honored that you thought of me. So thank you.
0: I appreciate You just made my, my whole week with that. I appreciate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> all Keep right. Keep doing what you do and stay in the deep end. Thank
0: you. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again and, and we'll see you next time.
1: Sounds good. Take care. All right.